And hello, all you lasso-holics out there, and welcome back to Peanut Butter and Biscuits, your Ted Lasso fancast from the Front Row Network on NPR Illinois. I'm Jeremy Geckner, and as always here with me, my intrepid biscuit eater, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to come up with some better phrases, but uh, my co-host here on Peanut Butter and Biscuits, Mr. Craig McFarland. What's up, man? Biscuit eater? Biscuit eater. I, I mean, here, I'm supposed to be bringing you biscuits. This is Biscuits with the Boss, Mr. Editor-in-Chief, fancy schmancy man. Yeah, exactly. We made it through season two. Yes, we did. Very, barely. <laughs> We're all still recovering. <laughs> barely. barely. You know, it is incredible uh, that this covering this show like this um first of all this show had such an emotional impact for me in season one and then now going back and covering season two we would try to like watch the episodes several times and then try to digest them but then it almost is like it would take a couple of days after we recorded our episode for me to finally determine where i was with individual pieces and components within an episode right so yeah. i think this is going to be really uh, cathartic to be able to recap season two with you today absolutely and i mean i'll tell you so this is of course as you just said uh kind of a season two big time recap we're going to be doing a lot of things on this episode i don't think it's going to be as long as our season two finale review which i mean there's so much to talk about, but we're going to do a lot of different things here. Um, now, look, this would normally be where I host the show uh, this week when in our alternating thing. But, of course, I'm coming to you guys from a hotel right now because I am on a work trip um, for my day job getting them realtor money. So um, I am up here um, near Chicago. And so Craig actually put together a great episode for us here. So he's going to take over um guiding us through this season to recap, which is going to include your thoughts. It's going to include our thoughts and it's going to include, um, of course, as always another edition of Tedisms. So with that, I turn it over to the Leslie Higgins of peanut butter and biscuits, Mr. Craig McFarland, take it away. Oh, man. that is such a nice thing to say. <laughs> and I was going to say, you know, I, if in case there are some audio delays or disruptions during this, it's because you're on like the Hampton free Wi-Fi or something like that. I <laughs> the think, Marriott right so, free uh, like Marriott conference free, free Wi-Fi. Wi yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of build this episode based off of your uh, reactions and your responses. But before we do that, we are going to get into our housekeeping because holy moly, you all showed us so much love over the last week. You know, this uh, season finale episode was by far our most downloaded episode. We really appreciated yeah. that. But also you did go and uh, leave some reviews on Apple Podcasts, and we wanted to mention those too. The first is from Uber Monkey, who says that he argues with the podcast and then his wife says, do they respond? We and do so now, this man. This is officially <laughs> Mrs. Uber Monkey. We are responding to Mr. Uber Monkey. Here you are, Uber so, Monkey. Here, here's so, your proof. You will seldom ever get to say this. You were right, man. <laughs> so if you want to, uh, Mr. Uber Monkey, contact us by email, frontrowlasso at gmail.com and tell me every way that Jeremy is wrong. I will <laughs> respond to you uh, because I am the one handling the emails for the show. Also, Another... also though, uh, if you tell us your real name, we won't use it. We're going to just keep using Uber Monkey. So... <laughs> Mr. Uber Monkey. Another review also said that we were their go-to lasso podcast. Thank you so much. And then we have to talk about 
uh, Mr. John Garcia, oh, yeah. who is out of Austin, and he left just an amazing review for us, first of all. Uh, but then additionally, beyond that, he had done some Ted Lasso art on his Twitter page, and uh, I loved it. And so it was wonderful to uh, reach out to him, and he then offered to do some Ted Lasso art for us as well. And I just wanted to promote that because he said that he's totally fine with us giving his handle out on Twitter. He does amazing work and uh, it's wonderful job. Thank you so much, John. His Twitter handle is R-O-K-R John, J-O-N. Um, and so again, that's R-O-K-R-J-O-N and uh, hit him up, give him a follow. It was wonderful t uh, Ted Lasso artwork and we've been lassoized and that's just yeah. incredible. Dude, for me. The, these things are so cool. Um, I He needs to like do those for everyone. Like everybody should have the chance to be lasso and beard in cartoon form. So hit him up, man. Hit him up on Twitter. Absolutely. Another listener said that they had listened to us all season and then this person I, I don't know, uh, male, female, um, but they responded back and they, they quoted one of my most impactful quotes of the season at me. And you, they said, you turned this panda into a lion. Oh and so my God. I, I do love that. Uh, I love that uh, review as well. Thank you so much. Then uh, it says barbecue sauce. So they love the nuance of our show and they would love to fly to Illinois and have a cocktail with us. So uh, maybe... That seems like a, you know, if we ever were to get into Patreon, I think that that's like a really high tier right there. Is, uh, I, think I, I think I can get behind a Patreon. Yeah, I think I can get behind a Patreon that involves alcohol. I can I can get behind that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, then a, a couple more reviews. Thank you again so much. Another one mentioned that they love the little Easter eggs that we would bring out of all the episodes. Uh, and then finally, we got a pro Nate argument whoa, 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 as whoa, one whoa. of our reviews. And I thought that was interesting because they left a, a review that was an argument for a character. And so I thought that was a great transition yep. to start getting into what we're going to do in this episode. And that is basically... Uh, we wanted to recap season two and we're trying to think of what's the best way to do that. Well, you know what? You answered that for us because so many of you have reached out via email and Twitter. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to start us off by kind of reading a prompt from one of our listeners and then have us respond to it a bit. Uh, and so, Jeremy, I think you might have been, had a chance to see some of these, but I did add some last second. So yeah. uh, you might not have seen them all, but let's go. Let's go first with Brad. So Brad emailed us right after the finale dropped, and he said that he has a theory on the ending with Nate. He thinks that the reaction to the win might reveal secretly that Nate had was trying to sabotage the team with his false nine. And this is the one that got me thinking so much because so the, the logic here is that Nate is deciding that he wants to keep Richmond relegated, maybe because of something that him and Rupert discussed uh, at the funeral. And so what he's gonna do is tell Ted to implement this brand new strategy that we know as being sports ball fans, football fans, it's <laughs> very difficult to completely introduce some kind of new scheme right before a game. So maybe Nate's wanting that to happen. And then it's kind of, I could see this theory being right from Brad, because what it does is it gives us a, a reason for why Nate is so angry about Ted calling it Nate's false nine, because maybe he was thinking if Ted took all the credit for this, as he's claiming Ted has in the past, 
then if it fails, then uh, Nate could look good, or at least the team could be relegated. What do you think about this theory, Jeremy? Yeah, it, it, it hit me as interesting when I first heard it. It really did. Um, I think there's a few key reasons in my mind why I don't quite buy it. Now, look, not that it doesn't make sense, because, you know, clearly Nate and Rupert have this sort of I'm sorry if like the Star Wars references are there, but they're just two app guys. Like they have this Vader Palpatine relationship now. Um, clearly, uh, with the last shot of the season, with Rupert like whispering in his ear again, um, and the devious look to the camera that Nate gives us. Now, the reason why I don't quite buy it is because it it kind of gives Nate this like really Machiavellian, like emotionally manipulation thing that he's doing with Beard and Roy in the office when he's talking about Ted taking credit for his stuff, which again, Ted has never done. Um, but it, 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 so it like, it, it seems like he's playing like a triple chess game here of making sure that Beard and Roy know that he still feels this way. Like he wants credit for good ideas. But then I also think like it just takes away from the scene where Nate confronts Ted you know, where he says, like, because there's this very specific line that he says, you know, when they when this fails and it will, you know, like and I don't I don't think that's him saying that uh, it means that, like, while he's having this really raw emotional moment, he's also still manipulating. And I didn't get that sense from that scene. I got the sense mm. from that scene that that was just brutal honesty all the way through. So I don't think that that's Nate trying to play another, you know, another angle on Ted. I think that's just raw emotion there. So I think that Nate, um, you know, cause I asked this question too, like when he sees that they tied the game, it's a lot of bewilderment there. So I can buy the idea that like, Oh God, it worked type of thing, you know, like I didn't expect it to work, but I think that's really more. Cause you remember when they score that first goal, when Sam scores that first goal, what does Ted do? Even after this big, like, even after he calls him a, a fucking joke, after he's like m like mentioning his son in a very derogatory way, even then, when Sam scores that goal and Nate's sitting on the bench, Ted is clapping and he goes over and pats him on the shoulder. And almost in a way of like, yeah, come on, let's go. Like even in that moment, Ted is still trying to get Nate back on the team there. And so I think what's happening here is just Nate, Nate is once again, it, it's a narcissistic mode here and he's been proven wrong. And that is something that he can't do. And that's what leads him to tear the belief sign. He has to lash out because there's no more justifying or there's no more angles he can work to figure out why he's still right. So that's what I think that is. But it's an interesting theory. Yeah, I, it, it totally is. And, you know, I, I think there's been so much speculation about Nate uh, and so much derision and uh, divisiveness about that direction that the character took throughout the arc. I know that we're going to be coming back to Nick Muhammad later uh, and talking about him, certainly in our uh, recap as we go through here with season two. But let's move on to something slightly uh, maybe a theory that is a bit more lighthearted, um, but still makes me pretty happy. Steve emailed us and said, you remember Ted and Trent talked about his dad for the second uh, on the independent thing. And Ted said uh, he sounds like a cool guy. So calling it now, the old man who always calls Ted a wanker is Trent's dad. <laughs> I like I this. That, I, like I like this. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, I, I don't have much to add there. Uh, I think I think it's great uh, if it is. You know, that guy was kind of a jerk in the finale when he was like, you know, he had that weird mixed up line about uh, about Normandy and, and all, um, you know, them lo losing World War II if uh, they had had panic attacks or whatever. Mm -hmm. But 
but no, I I like that. Uh, I, I I think this I think this is a great theory. And plus, like, because I don't see it on the rest of the rundown here, there is this thing circulating, you know, that. And I want to get your thoughts on this first. Like Trent Krim not having his keys or locking himself out of his car. What is that? Like they linger on that shot for a long time. I don't. I don't know. What do you think it is? Well, okay. I don't. I don't know that I have. Uh, I, I don't, don't know that I have anything here. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I understand the. Um, because the rumor going around all the fan communities now is that maybe that means he's the new PR guy to replace Keeley. Well, um, I mean, surely that like it, it clear clearly they were like there is a job open now, and we yeah. all know that. Uh, I think that Trent is even more so in his absence from season two because he really wasn't in season two. No, much he at wasn't all. in it a lot at all, and I, I did not like that. Uh, and I think that perhaps they could bring him into the organization in some way. And of course there is a PR job open now. Yeah. So, so I, it makes sense. It's just like that, that shot, like the, it's like a Kubrick film, man. Like none of these things are accidental. It's it, but so like, I, like they just, they really do linger on that shot for a long time. There's gotta be some significance to it. I don't know what it is, but you know, like if somebody has an idea, keep hitting it up there. But I do love the idea of Trent Krim joining uh team, uh team Richmond next year, man. So, okay. So you mentioned Kubrick. Kubrick. I uh, literally just started watching The Shining for the first time yeah. ever tonight uh, because I usually am terrified of horror movies. And so I'm deciding to dive into the pool. As He's a, becoming one uh, of us, you know, people. In my mid thirties, I've decided that, you know, the, the nightmares are worth it, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. But I will say that, you know, there was something that was posted in the Ted Lasso talks um, talking about every shot meaning something. I didn't know if this actually meant something, but there is a moment in the um, first season where Nate breaks the glass. Do you remember that? Yeah, in, uh, it was by accident. It, yeah. But like in that shot, there, there was somebody that posted a shot online and it was Ted in the glass. And so they were like, uh, you saw Nate in the foreground, Ted in the background with the glass shattered on his back. And they were like, oh, maybe this was alluding to Nate stabbing him in the back. So you know, I was like, maybe it is because that's if I remember right, that 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 scene like where he broke the glass went right into the uh, right into the theme song. Right. So it's like it's kind uh -huh. of like a little throwaway thing. I like this. I like this idea too. I'm I'm stamping I, this one. I'm taking I it. I am so glad that, that we have a show to focus on that has so many little possibilities and little threads to go down. I just love that a yeah. lot. And um, so now we go on to some of our Twitter responses. Uh, this is from Phoenix Rising. It says, season two was brilliant. I worked in mental health care field for 26 years, and I'm impressed by the way season two explored the character's individual journeys. I view Nate not as a villain, but as a deeply wounded person who's emerged from a lifetime of being emotionally neglected and rejected. Mm. So a lot to unpack there. Uh, you know, this is almost why you and I started this podcast, right? Because I love the um, positive psychology angle of yeah. Ted Lasso. And I talked about like in the first couple episodes, I talked about things like growth mindset, that, that kind of mindset that Ted brings to the team. Um, and this is someone that, you know, clearly this season, they focused on that aspect of mental health. And uh, I, I appreciated seeing Ted's journey in particular on this. I appreciated seeing Dr. Fieldstone's journey. Um, and I think that we will come to appreciate Nate's arc 
sometime in the future. I don't think that we can appreciate it fully now, but what do you think about this uh, idea of mental health kind of being one of the overarching themes? It was clear that that's what they were going for, but your thoughts on mental health in season two. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of, lot to unpack with this because I think you're right. The overall theme of the show, like season one and two, seems to be fathers and sons and our relationships to those who you know make the big impacts on us in our lives. But this season, you're right, mental health and growing as a person was definitely the key focus here, um, even if some people like Nate grew in ways that were destructive. Um, you know, I think that, you know, Ted's journey in particular, um, starting there, is very, it's very conducive to a lot of different things, which is, you know, not being afraid of self-discovery. And Ted's journey in particular is is like, is very cathartic for all of us as viewers, because Ted's dealt with a lot in his life. We didn't really get no, like we didn't get brought onto the inside of all of that until this season, until the Man City episode where we fully, actually, I would, I would suggest even until um, episode 10, No Weddings and a Funeral, where, um, where he's, uh, you know, fully unpacking what happened when his father killed himself, where he reveals to Sharon that he actually found his father's body and, you know, kind of like the numb persona and numb tactics that he took um, when that happened. He talked about going into the fridge and getting one of his beers and then calling his mom. You know, it, it's one of those things that, you know, that is a jarring thing to think about. How anybody could come out of that situation as positive as Ted is, is there. But really what we learned from this season through Ted's sessions with Dr. Fieldstone and all of his interactions with everyone else at Richmond is that Ted is a wounded person and that his positivity is really a lot more of... I don't want to say this in a bad way. It's a mask that he's wearing. It's not a false mask, but it's definitely his defense mechanism against the, a world that anything in the world he doesn't understand. Positivity is his weapon to retake his power. And I think that like the self-discovery he's on in knowing that it's okay to not have all the answers. I think mm -hmm. that's why you see him so, you know, wary of, of of Dr. Fieldstone when she first comes in is because he's the one, his identity is being the guy who has those answers. And so now like that self-discovery and leading it to the place where he's no longer ashamed of any of this stuff and talking about it openly at a press conference, that is huge. And it is a big step forward for, you know, everybody, but more, more specifically masculine people, men dealing with their feelings, especially men in sports. I can't wait to hear more about that press conference because it was clear that uh, they didn't want to go there in the finale. Mm -hmm. You know, they wanted to lead that into season three, but you know that that's going to have a huge impact and that's yeah. going to have ripple effects, uh, whatever that press conference. And I, I know that we're going to see that press conference. It's kind of like Roy's press conference Roy's, from yeah. earlier that was, uh, that was joked about uh, at the beginning of the season. I know that we're going to see parts of that press conference in season three. That's one of my uh, put it down right now with prediction that's going to happen in season three. And yeah. I'm excited to explore that aspect of things as well. Um, now, Chris uh, was our next person. He said that um, he, he does talk a little little bit about Nate. I'm going to skip some of that because we've already started to talk Nate a lot. Although it's funny because uh, we just had this uh, mental health professional who said that, you know, Nate might be kind of a victim in this. And then Chris well, is not having that. Chris is not yeah. having that. Okay. Well, I mean, um, the, it is the, it is the biggest thing to talk about from the, from the whole season. Um, oh no, I 100%, 100%. Um, 
And so then, but Chris did say a couple of things I wanted to bring up. First of all, he said, Courtney was a great guest. Well, last of course week, she was. And she was uh, <laughs> because Courtney and Lo is the best. And thank you, yep. Courtney. Uh, you are great. And we can't wait to have you back on. But also he had a, a tweet at us talking about Roy and Keeley's relationship and how he's frustrated by it because why can't they just be happy? Um, she's expanding her career. And also uh, they just, he wants them to have a happy relationship. Damn it is what he wrote in the tweet. Here's my deal. Mm -hmm. And again, I've been on this train for a couple of weeks, so you probably can guess what I'm going to say, but I think that Keeley and Roy are in a very good place right now in okay. my mind, because okay. to me, the photo shoot, was so impactful because not only earlier in the season, you have this, you know, you have this kind of groundhog day episode <laughs> and it ends with Roy making amends with Keely and giving her some alone time and giving her some of that separation. That theme comes back again when he's inviting her on a week vacation, right? Because he, she still wants a little bit of that distance in their relationship. But in my mind, it all is comes to that photo shoot and how they were so open and honest with each other and they weren't angry about it. They were just communicative. And to me, that sets up their relationship in such a great spot going forward. Now, I don't know, we're gonna find out about the six week vacation if uh, Roy ended up taking it by himself, if she came out with him a couple of times, but we talked a bit about this in the finale. I, I think it is pretty difficult to think about like, oh, um, my significant other is now going to go and start a new career. Let's take them on a six week vacation. <laughs> and I get that it wasn't necessary. Like he was going to have it all set up. She could work remotely, all that jazz, because that is also getting lost in some of this. I see a lot of conversation online that are like, who, who gets six week vacations? Well, maybe footballers do or football coaches that are in their <laughs> off season probably do. Um, but Jeremy, your thoughts on Roy and Keeley, am I completely off base? Am I still just like hopelessly optimistic here? You know, I'm really on the fence because I can see both possibilities here because look, they introduced, they, they put Phoebe's teacher in a prominent position with Roy for a reason. Okay. And again, I think that that's not so much as like raw attraction as it is them sharing Phoebe in common. And Phoebe clearly is aside from Keely, the most important thing to Roy. So I think what I can see it two ways here. Yes. I think that it's very possible. We open season three and they are fine. Everything is good. Um, then again, there is the Zach and Kelly effect here, guys, which is an old Save by the Bell reference, which is you never keep your power couple together. You always break them up because it creates the conflict. Now, I don't think that Sudeikis and, and Goldstein and all these writers, I don't think that they would just do that to do that. But six weeks is a long time. And it's entirely possible that aside that it's not like another romantic interest or something for Keeley or Roy, but it's just the time. It's just that Keeley doesn't have the time to spend with him. That was Roy's big thing, you know, after he was appropriately very excited for her. Oh, well, you won't have time for me anymore. Um, you know, he says it jokingly, but I think Roy is aside from being the perfect human being um, to all of us. Um, but I think I think he is a pretty insecure person. Um, you know, it took a lot for him to grow into his role, um, you know, to take that role on the, on the soccer talk show. It took a lot to get him back to coaching Richmond. It took a lot to get him to understand Keeley. Um, you know, like he is a genuinely great person, but I think he does have this fear that he is not good enough for Keeley. And I think that that's yeah. always stemmed from, 
you know, the very first time he was attracted to her, which I still maintain is when she does that impersonation of him as she's walking into the clubhouse. I think it's like episode three of season one. Um, it's the episode where like the, the beard and, and Ted finally get uh, Roy on board and he like headbutts. Uh, I can't remember. I think it's Isaac actually at the, at the club at the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but I mean, like, I think that's when he first really fully realizes he's in love with her. And again, he's got Jamie as this rival and it's always in the back of his head. I think that's why that shook him so much in that photo shoot is I think he's always worried that Keely will go back to Jamie and that she will not want him anymore. And so I think planning a six week vacation, you're right. It's ludicrous, but at the same time, maybe that's him just acting out and lashing out a bit of like, I need to keep you. I don't want to lose you. Um, And so I don't know. I can, I'm 50. I can see that. I, I mean, I could totally see that. I I think that what you could with Roy Kent, what you could do is stop with a couple words short of what you said earlier. You had said that he has a fear of uh, that Keeley, that he wasn't good enough for Keeley. I think that his fear is that he just thinks he's not good enough. And so I think that that's more exploration in the character. I think from Keeley's perspective, this relationship is fine and strong. And I hope that she brings Roy along to that as well. But now let's go to Stacy's grape soda. So I don't know, um, you know, uh, Stacy, if you wanted to send us some grape soda uh, after, you know, listening to this, that's totally fine. Sounds like you uh, got your own brand here. (laughs) But Stacy says that it was an amazing season and she touches on the other theme other than mental health that we've been coming to a lot. The father child theme throughout the season was excellently, excellently, excellently executed. executed. That's nice. (laughs) Yes. Excellently executed. Uh, I can get that right. Also. I love that retrospectively makes season one even better because when I think back, I remember stuff that makes some moments even better or even sadder. Um, But we'll talk all this through during the rewatch. And yes, she's right. We will be here with you. (laughs) That's right. Rewatching season one in the not too distant future. But we've talked a lot about this, Jeremy. I don't know if there's, uh, and we're going to talk about it more moving forward, but clearly a theme here, fathers and sons, fathers and children, uh, father and Phoebe, you know, whether that be uh, Roy and Phoebe, you know, so I, I think that that is clearly another theme that the um, writers were going for in this season. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I, I can't remember if it was Chris, but yeah, like I think the more I think about it, that Nate's chief conflict um, and the reason why he goes after Ted so hard is he's going after his own father in that scene. He's not like Ted is his surrogate father at this point. And one one point about that that really uh, bugged me, too, is you remember in that scene, that dig that Nate has about you don't even have the picture I gave you up in your office. It's just a bunch of stupid Americans. Ted could have easily told him that, like, we, you remember where that picture actually is, right? Right, Greg? It's literally on his on his bedside table next to his picture of his son. Like, that's yeah. how much Ted thinks of Nate. And yet... You know, he doesn't say that. And that that makes that scene so much more heartbreaking that Ted is like almost paralyzed by this by this outburst here. But that is but that is the father son dynamic. Nate has had in a distant emotionally like I don't want to say manipulative, but definitely emotionally distant. And you would think probably some derision there. Um, father for his whole life and then he finally finds this person that makes him feel important and makes him feel like he wanted his father to make him feel 
And in his mind, because Ted isn't everything he wants him to be in that moment, it's the same abandonment. So, um, again, the father and son dynamic playing out in a way I didn't even think it would um, in that in that last episode. Absolutely. Uh, I want to keep moving us along. Mm -hmm. Uh, So TV show graph said that they love season two so much, uh, if not even more than season one. And they talked about mental health and some of the powers and challenges that people have. And they got to see um, lenses, different lenses of Ted, because he's usually so upbeat and positive. Um, But now we got to see sort of the other side. We also got to see where Nate is so, or sorry, Roy is so much more reserved. Uh, We get to see really his loving side which is really cool too so it's a great observation real quick on the mental health and sports um you don't have to go far guys to see this play out in the real world this happened this year at the olympics look what happened with simone biles like she literally said she she was uh, like mentally overwhelmed and that she couldn't do it and she got derided by a lot of people for that that and I mean, I'm sorry, but when you're like an elite gymnast flipping over in the air a bunch of times, if you don't land right, you can't walk, you might be paralyzed. So, like, I, I love that the show is still going with this and that that press conference you're right was so important, Craig, because it's still here, it happened this year. And they're writing this so far in advance of when that happened. And obviously the athletic activism beat, we'll get to that too. And um, that was, that's been playing out for the last several years, but their focus on mental health this year seems uh, almost like they were so ahead of where the world was even in that discussion. And so that's something I I truly, really appreciate the show for a couple last ones here. We had some longer threads, so I'm going to kind of just throw out some of the ideas on uh, the last two here, and then you can take and respond to any of it that you want. So this is from Bex Obasanya fan said a fantastic season, really appreciated the realness they uh, also adored the beard episode. It was wild and yeah. fantastic. Uh, and so they really enjoyed that episode quite a bit. Um, they're also looking forward to see what they're going to do with Sam and Keely and Roy's relationship, what they're going to do with uh, Sam and Rebecca's relationship. And then uh, they do see Nate as redeemable, but in a Vader kind of way. Rupert is definitely Palpatine, but I also see... <laughs> Nate sacrificing his life, although it's probably more his career in the end. Who knows? We'll see is what they say. So lots of really cool insights there from uh, another listener as well. And I, you know, we can talk about the beard episode until the cows go home. That is such a, (laughs) and we called it, we knew that it was going to be divisive. Um, There are people that definitely do not like that episode. Uh, I got to say, I got a lot out of that episode. I I really enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed it, um, and and so I agree with this listener wholeheartedly. Yeah, there's a distinct lack of hula hoop dancing in all the other episodes that just gives them, weighs them all down now. Um, but I will say uh, two quick things. One, Anthony Head is so goddamn good as Rupert. I mean, like he is so deliciously evil in this role. Like ever, like it, it takes a good actor to play that smarmy. I mean, he does it so well. Um, I'm really, I, I, I hate this guy's guts, but I'm looking forward to seeing a little bit more of him next season. Um, but 
I wanted to ask you, uh, because this did trigger and he, what do you think is happening with Sam here? I mean, they took the time to make sure that they, to show us in the Lord of the Rings ending there that, um, that he bought this restaurant that like, so I take that as, okay, he's setting down roots that this is mm-hmm. his new home now, but like, you know, what do you think is going on with Sam? Like it's been a couple of months. Do you think he and Rebecca have talked? Do you think anything has moved forward there? I think that they will probably have a bit of a pause on all of that. I think that we will jump back into a place where uh, they have not really had that discussion yet because we're likely going to have another time jump. I think Sam is going to be remarkably quick in opening his restaurant. I think that that's going to happen sometime early in season three. Um, But then, you know, you're, you're saying like, what's his mindset? Why did he stay? And I think it, it all comes back to that one scene in the park where those kids were playing with his Jersey. It so clearly impacted him. And he's thinking that he could have the biggest impact here and he could bring Nigeria to London and he can bring it to England. That's a good point. Um, That's a good point. Bring his home here to his new home. I didn't think about that. Right. Exactly. I mean, I think that that's, you know, of course he wanted to play for the Nigerian team and you know, if, uh, if Sam Richardson gets his way, he's not going to have that. And Kufo he's also seems have to a, think that that's not happening. <laughs> he's, he's also not going to have a childhood home, yeah. I guess, anymore. But, uh, but well, he know, will. We'll It'll just be a there. be an ash pit <laughs> with a lot of poop on it. Apparently, that's right. Um, that's right. No, but I, I think you're right, though. That's a good uh, that's a good way to put that because. It is kind of a contrast with what Sam said, like, you know, his dream was in season one, which was basically being the pride of Nigeria and going back and playing for the national team and stuff. But I think you're right. That is a great way of of you think like when he saw those kids in the park, he really does see like, oh, my gosh, like these kids from London, you know, that I would never meet if I stayed in Nigeria, like have my name on their jersey and they're inspired by something Mm -hmm. I'm doing on the on the pitch here. Um, you know, I think that that's a, that's a pretty good analysis there, man. Good job. Well, you know, I, 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 I try, I mean, it, yes. but it, it make it, the, the, you know, they did the work for me because they really focused in on that moment and he's talking to his father and he's saying the universe is going to give you a sign and it did. Um, but just from that whole, the, the whole arc that he had, and in fact, going to mention this later in a question, a rapid fire question I have for you, but that whole athletic activism arc that he has mm. from going from the, the kind of understated player in season one, then becoming captain by the time we get to the uh, beginning of season one, two, and then seeing the athletic activism beat and do the rightest thing. And then going from there, his relationship with Sam, with Rebecca, it, it, like everything about this character, this season i really thoroughly enjoyed and i can't wait to see what they do with that character moving forward yeah. uh and to just killing it he's crushing it oh dude i mean I, look four uh emmy supporting actor noms this year for the four you'd think but i think Tahib could be in there man he had a lot of great moments um in season two here um it was it was really fun and yeah you're right like there's just there's a lot to break down with his character also with that athletic activism thing, because, you know, Akufo, when we meet him, he's talking about wanting to build up like Africa into the soccer power. And in like maybe in a couple of years, maybe in like five or six years, Sam doing that protest in a game playing for Cosa or uh, Boca Casablanca could have that same impact, but not the same impact that it would doing that in the Premier League um, over in England, which still is. I mean, I know people in different European countries think, you know, Bundesliga or the La Liga and stuff, but, you know, to most of the world, the Premier League is still the best players in the world. And 
you know, that is that platform. So like doing that protest here might have like it is what got the oil company to finally pay up and, and get out of Nigeria and stuff. So, you know, like you're right, there is that impact. He can have a bigger impact here in Richmond than he could probably building up uh, Boca Casablanca with the Kufo. Yeah, I do want to get through uh, this last. So we have the lasso theorist on Twitter who uh, <laughs> mentions us a lot in his posts. We really appreciate that. Also, um, really had some great thoughts here, but he has a lot of them. So I'm just going to throw a few of those at it at you and see what sticks here. So he said that um, season two, episode one was his least favorite episode of the season. And it seemed like they were doing a ground that later paid off like Healy getting the the full-time PR gig uh, and then also of course Danny coming back to the penalty kick at the end clearly that's a callback to goodbye Earl as well um, he also said some random things he loves all the army men uh, loves doing that <laughs> and saying Sudeikis's different voices during the conversations with Sharon just shows his talent so I think what he's saying there is that he, he really dive so much deeper than that facade of what Ted Lasso is to uh, most of us. I mean, the Ted Lasso that we, we loved when he was doing uh, just bits for the premier league coming over to NBC as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, also said Carol, the bells episode is a must watch every Christmas until I die. Beard after hours was a great sidetrack. Uh, and the boys of Nelson road just seemed so genuine in their joy uh, when they're at Nelson road. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more there. Yeah. Um, this is funny. The Trent Krim storyline uh, made Twitter erupt with journalistic ethics, but the writers were one step ahead of us all because of course they addressed that later because yeah. Trent Krim turns himself in. Yeah. I loved that. His I loved source. that beat. Like, yeah, everybody was going nuts. Like how dare he reveal a source? And he's like, Oh no, I, I, I told them that was so yeah. perfect. Man. He said that uh, he's sad that maybe beard and Jane are broken up, but maybe they're back on. They were, they kind of led that thread <laughs> hanging. Come on. Um, didn't you love and... that though, Craig? Didn't you love that like in the midst of all of the stuff they're tying up in the finale they gave beer that little moment to be like oh we broke up ding oh we're back on <laughs> like i absolutely loved it man. Yeah. Uh, and let's see if there's any other ones i wanted to mention he has so much good stuff in here and you can actually go read on uh if you go to pbb frn you can see his thread on there, um, but just a lot of growth and redemption stories for the men. He says Roy and Jamie and Ted and Sam, uh, and then on the other side, you get Nate and Rupert as well. Just so much going into it. So uh, thanks again to all of our listeners for providing us with like really great content, because as soon as you started sending those in, I was like, you know, we could actually have a better episode if we just talk about your responses and your reactions. So please continue to send those in to yeah. us. I will say I did save this one for very last because in the profile picture, this man is on a bike and he looks like he could run me down. So he said, <laughs> this is uh, what Matt said to me. He said, same thing that I told the lasso cast guys. If you guys don't spend copious minutes discussing those puppy greyhounds, I will go Edwin Akufu on you. <laughs> Here's the deal. I don't know if we're going to spend copious minutes on it, yeah. but we did at least mention it. So Game on, lasso cast. Now it's on you. Let's yeah. see what you do with this. Yeah, okay? let, let, let's talk about some <laughs> greyhound puppies here, man. <laughs> they oh, are the, Lord. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, Jared, now what I want to do, uh, it's starting to wrap up. And of course, we will, I promise, there will be Tedisms. There will be. But Ted I wanted to just get rapid 
fire answers here. So uh, you can elaborate a little bit, but let's just try to keep it light and brief here as we go into some of these questions. Jeremy, what's your favorite episode of season two? <sighs> that Come is on. a tough one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think I think it's got to be Man City, um, just because Man City. I, I love the. Uh, I just like you know Phil Dunster's my boy. Um, I've been absolutely in love with Jamie Tart since uh, season one, even when he's a jerk, because I just loved the character work he was putting in there, and to get that payoff and to give Jamie finally his moment of standing up for himself against his father which remember that was his big thing he could never stand up to his father um as he told in the two aces episode in season one and even more at the end of season the finale of season one where he's just throwing his shoes at him like i absolutely love that jamie finally got to speak up for himself and he finally got that affirmation and that role model character um, with Roy. Like, it's not a surrogate father thing, but I think it's definitely halfway there. And it was so important and so vital for Jamie. I cannot wait to see what they do with him in season three. See what I'm dealing with, people? Uh, we asked for a rapid response, <laughs> and then you get a monologue from Jeremy Geckner. That's the front My- row way, man. My favorite episode, uh, without a doubt, uh, she's like a rainbow. It's Rainbow Man. Um, That's a good pick. Higgins, that uh, you get Roy Kent returning to the pitch. You get uh, Higgins and his wife. It's just a fantastic episode, a fantastic song. It's now on my uh, playlist. Hell and I yeah, listen man. To it all of the time. Uh, it's just so wonderful. I will say honorable mention to Carol of the Bells because I am a sucker for a Christmas episode. It is um, I I'm counting down the days, man. We're like, I'm a November 1st Christmas song yes, guy. You are. I'm sorry. Don't rate me down uh, because of that, but I am ready for those Christmas episodes and everything else. Here is maybe a tougher question for you, but what was your least favorite episode of season two? This is hard. <laughs> this is hard, yeah. man. Cause I let, let me like any episode I choose, I'm going to love, but if I have to like go to like the least of that, I loved. Um, I don't know, man. I think I'm gonna break your heart, but maybe I think it probably is the Carol of the Bells, not because I dislike it, but just because mm-hmm. it's like it's the most standalone of all of them. You know, even Beard After Hours, I can make a tangential, um, you know, uh, you know, connection to the events of Man City. So I, I guess de facto Carol of the Bells, but I love that episode. I'm gonna watch it at Christmas. I don't know. I would say for me, it's not so much it's my least favorite. It's my least memorable episode. I really had to, in preparing for this episode, I had to go back and really figure out what happened in Lavender. Um, So it is the second episode of the season. Uh, Still like very excited to get into the second season. They're still doing a lot of building there. So again, not necessarily my least favorite episode, but the one that I remembered the least going into this prep. So that's what I would say for mine. Well, remember now they, they, get... they wrote the, the three episodes together. So that's definitely the middle episode of a, of a big arc. So. Absolutely. Uh, so, and again, that's because we, Brendan Hunt revealed that they thought Apple was going to release the first three episodes <laughs> right. at the same time. And then they decided to do a weekly release um, and made us wait all yeah. that time. Yeah. Thanks Apple. Thanks. Apple. So, now I get to ask you, favorite arc, favorite storyline of this season, rapidly, Jeremy. Um, it's gotta, 
It's got to be Nate. I mean, like I and I. Ooh, I mean, well, hot takes. Well, hot no, takes, hot kicks here again. It's not a. I love what Nate did this season. Uh, no, it's not one of those things. But like the growth. I mean, I, I mentioned in the last episode, the first and last shot of this season are close-ups of Nate's face, and I think that like you want to talk about the most growth in the season. In the season, yeah, it's it's Nate. So I think. You know, like I already talked about Jamie and he's great, but they really kind of like just let him be in the background those last three episodes. So um, I think Nate's the one that, that has the most stuff uh, the whole time. Okay. I could see that. Um, my favorite story arc, and I don't know, I, I can almost make it my uh, least favorite in that they didn't come back to it enough for me was the athletic activism out of Do the Rightest Thing, that, mm-hmm. out of Dubai Air. I wish we would have gotten even more of that because, uh, again, Tahib Jamo uh, brought it during those scenes, and uh, Sam as a character really, really, you know, not to use a pun, but he just he flew during those scenes. Like, I mean, like he he really like grew wings and flew because he was going up against Dubai Air uh, yeah. at the beginning of and if the I, season and, here. And if I'll say one least favorite thing, and again, this isn't a big criticism, but didn't it feel like Hannah wasn't quite in it as much this year? Like, you know, like I, I felt like, I don't know. That's unfair to say because she had with Sam, but like, I don't know. I felt like Hannah she was, was like a like, major storyline. No, I, I know that. Her. I know that, but like, uh, maybe you just wanted more. Those, you wanted more. I do. I love Hannah. I think she's so freaking good in this role. Man. She, she like, always sang once again, make that, make that lady sing. Yes. So, don't make her sing. Ask her politely while you're writing the script to sing. I need uh, like at least three Hannah season. songs during the course of season three. Okay. And I mean, I can understand that. I can think like, again, uh, even though the athletic activism beat was my favorite, it could also, I could have listed as my least favorite only because they did not return to it as frequently as I thought. And it was not an overarching uh, theme of the season, like something like mental health really became. Um, I would say my least favorite arc, uh, or at least least favorite use of a character was probably Trent Krim, because we didn't get him enough this season. And then when we did, it was very much like, they dropped this text message on us. And so then, yeah, like, again, journalism, Twitter was like, ooh, Ted Lasso, (laughs) this, we're going to, we're going to dog on Ted Lasso again. Well, that's a thorough, that's a thoroughly original thought from all the publications Uh, in the world. Right. The, the New Yorker started their typewriters up again and and talking about how Ted Lasso is not going to save us. (laughs) I love that you just said they're typewriters, Um, but no, actually strike my Hannah, Hannah note. Yeah. It's Trent Krim because I love that man. I want more of him. Give me more. All right. Uh, we got two more rapid fires. Let's get real rapid about this. Rapid. Don't give me a reason why, because it should stand on its own. Who's your MVP of the season? Jamie Tart. <laughs> Man, that's not who I expected you to see. Say, um, who did you expect me to say, say? I thought, I I thought you were going to go Roy, um, honestly, or you know, maybe beard. You like it. You're a beard guy. It was a beard heavy season with I mean, understand, a beard episode. Un- understand this. The only Jamie relegated Richmond and Jamie just promoted them too. Oh, nice. He gave well that done. ball to Danny knowing that Danny was a better penalty kicker. Remember when they had their shootout in season one, like hitting the crossbars, he knows Danny's a better kicker than him. So. All right, you're breaking my rules again. I I will break my own rule and say this season was all about that mental health aspect for me. There's one person that brought that in as the antagonist in episode one, and we hated seeing her leaving in episode 11. It's Dr. Sharon Fieldstone was our MVP of the season. Damn good pick, man. 
damn good. That's pick. it. And you know, we haven't even mentioned her that, that that much in this recap, but she was so incredible. Sarah, Sarah Niles, Niles, baby. Mm. Oh, come come back, please. Yes. Please don't do let not that leave. character just be a one season arc. Uh, writers, please don't do that. Speaking of what we might think is coming in season three, give us one prediction uh, that you want to see or, or you think will happen in season three. Okay. And then this is where we can make fun of ourselves about a year. <laughs> Yes, let's get let's get uh, prognosticating here. Um, okay, so I think that based on most sports movie arcs like this, they're gonna play West Ham at least once, and they're gonna get murdered by that team at least once, mm. and then it's gonna come down to them again. This is again a trope from Major League, which is the basic premise of the very first season of this show. Like all throughout that movie, the Cleveland Indians are getting murdered by the Yankees. And then who do they have to play to ultimately win the AL? They have to play the Yankees. So I think that this is, but the only thing that's a wrinkle in that arc though, Craig, is that it doesn't leave much room for us to redeem Nate, does it? Unless he leaves the team. And that's the real question there. And that's what I'm going to make you predict, my man. Is Nate going to be redeemed in season three? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think I think so. I think that you you have a redemption arc here. I think that um, it's going to take an awful lot of work, uh, but I do think that he will be redeemed in some fashion at the end of the season. Uh, I was also going to say that I think that we will see a different side of Sam in season three. I wonder if maybe his uh, focus goes away from football and onto other projects or other relationships and so uh in my mind i think we're going to see the growth of isaac as a character here mm. uh, i think having him uh be the captain and having him be the first person to put his hand on that believe sign meant that we were will see more of him much like we saw so much more of sam in season two i think we're getting a lot more isaac in season three all right that that's, is my all right that's well, my prediction another prediction. another question for you is the believe sign resurrected as lazarus was from the dead uh, has to be, has to be, right? I mean, you, in, in, well, like, is it a new sign or do they tape it together? What do you think? I think Ted's going to tape it together. I think that that's the most symbolic, right? I mean, it's got to be. I think he has to, right? Yeah. Jason, Jason Sudeikis, if you're listening to this, give us some insights. You cannot uh, leave us in process. limbo like this, man. Please, um, you know, let us know where the belief sign is. Uh, if you need someone to guard it uh, yes. while you're writing. Is it on life support? We will, can we do a, we do, can we do a GoFundMe for the sign? All right. We will get it surgery. So we ended almost every episode. Once we finally decided we were doing this podcast <laughs> with one thing this season. So it's time for queuing Larry Smith for the season two recap. Tedisms. <laughs> Tedisms. For each week, we share biscuits truth. Oh, yeah. All right. Different kind of Tedism. We obviously didn't have an episode to review. So what I said was I wanted to uh, get your Tedism of the season. And we were going to do a maybe not so serious one. And then perhaps a serious Tedism as well. So, But which are we uh, doing let, first, Craig? That's my question. <laughs> we gotta. I think we should end on serious. Yeah, I do so, too, actually. Let's do this. You go, uh, you do your not serious, and then I will do my not serious, and then you do your serious, and I will do my serious, okay? Right, and uh, so that's it. The Tedism of the season. This is, this is a big deal, man. Yeah, this is. Well, I will preface mine by saying 
Craig took what mine would be, but I did. Think, I did have. This. There were two lines this season that literally, when I was watching them, I laughed so hard out loud that like my wife took notice of what I was doing watching the show. So one of them is Craig's. One of them is this one, which is takes place at episode ten. Uh, no, we- no weddings and a funeral. When there is a receiving line for the wake um, for Rebecca's dad and uh, Rupert's <laughs> Rupert's new Rebecca brings her baby. Um, and as they're walking in, her mom says, oh, are you a chubby baby, aren't you? The baby starts crying and Rebecca says, congratulations, mother. You just fat shamed a baby to tears. <laughs> that line made me laugh so hard. And it's all in how Hannah says it. It's so perfect. Oh my goodness. That is so great. And you know, mine, I think uh, many people will say that this was one of the best lines of the season. I absolutely did steal it from you, but I also prepped this episode. So it was mine to take. It's from the signal. It's given by the great Ted Lasso himself. And he says, I love meeting people's moms. It's like reading an instruction manual to why they're nuts. You know, we could easily make that the serious quote too, but it's so fantastic. <laughs> right. It, it oh, definitely man. has it has some seriousness to it. That's for but, sure. But I mean, can we give some love to Coach Beard after that, where he just screams, let's go, and admits that his mom's full blown QAnon now? <laughs> full blown QAnon. Uh all right. So Jeremy, hit us with that serious lasso. Yes, serious lasso. Mine's very short, um, and it does not come from Ted. It comes from one Mr. Uh, Leslie Higgins here, who Courtney Enlow is devoutly pro. Um, <laughs> but it comes from the episode, uh, I believe it's Rainbow, right? Um, where he's talking mm-hmm. about where Rebecca's trying to get some romantic advice from him, and he says, the best brand is just being yourself. I'm just going to throw it out there that I said that Rainbow was my favorite episode and you just gave one of the Tedism lines uh, from Rainbow and I am also going to go to Rainbow yeah, in that love right of <laughs> rom-communism as well. So here it is. It's that long one that Ted gives in uh, the locker room. It says, fairy tales do not start, nor do they end in the dark forest. That's something that shows up smack dab in the middle of the story, but it all works out. It may not work out the way that you think it will or how you hope it does, but believe me, it will all work out exactly how it's supposed to. Our job is to have zero expectations and just let go. It's almost like they wrote that for the fans. Really, the though? Season two. <laughs> really, Isn't though? It? Yes. Um, I mean, because everybody has to remember that. It's just like this is a three season arc here, people. There is a purpose to this. But um, there was one article, though, Craig, that I read that uh, said, I won't quote the whole thing, but they basically said, like, you know, the reason why Nate's betrayal hurts so bad is because it's earned. It's because the writers earned that betrayal with the smart writing and the smart character development they put in the whole season. And so, yeah, I mean, like everyone's you got it hurts you so bad because it's supposed to because it does. It just sucks. But you know what? We're going to get through it. We cannot begin to tell you thank you enough for listening to our show and for inviting others to listen to our show and for writing us and all of that Uh, we are so excited to bring back season one for you in the relatively near future our plan uh, for right now is that we're going to take a week off 
And then we are going to start with season one, episode one, the pilot. And we are going to break that down just like we did uh, the season two arc as well. So be looking for that to happen. Again, thank you so much for following along with us on Peanut Butter and Biscuits. Please continue to email us your thoughts at frontrowlasso at gmail.com. Also, you can follow us on Twitter, PBBFRN. So check us out there. It's kind of a, it's fun to just interact with all of you in this off season. Hopefully we can be the, we can fill the void a little bit in this off season of Ted Lasso uh, by going back and rewatching season one together. So definitely come along that journey with us. Jeremy, this was supposed to be your episode to host. So you want to finish? I know, I guess what I got to do an outro or something here, but uh, echo everything Craig said, you guys are the best. We do it for you guys. Um, it's it's such a fun community to be a part of. I do it for me. Ted. Yeah, Craig does it actually. for him. But, um. I, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do it for you guys always. Uh, man, this was some heavy lifting hosting this episode today. Um, so for <laughs> peanut butter and biscuits, I'm Jeremy Geckner. I'm Craig McFarland. And as always, folks, be a goldfish. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Front Row Network, a proud Community Voices member of National Public Radio Illinois. For more from the Front Row Network, including our articles or our other dozens of shows, visit thefrontrownetwork.com or nprillinois.org slash programs slash network. You can also find us on social media by searching for the Front Row Network on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Front Row Reviews with a Z.